The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. So you own your own business. Got small ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Got medium ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Who has medium ambitions? You got big ambitions. If you're a growing business with big ambitions, you want to grow with Granger. Granger has the products, the services, and more importantly, the commitment you need. Total commitment. If you're a growing business, Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link, alongside James Anderson. If you're out there on Twitter, you can find James at RealJRAnderson. You can find me at Clay W. Link. James, this is just our second Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Uh, currently on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast feed, but we'll have a separate RSS feed built for this podcast eventually. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. Some pretty big news to get to, but I uh, just want to let let our listeners know kind of what we're planning to do with this podcast in the weeks leading up to the regular season uh, we're going to be discussing you know random news and, and articles but then once the season actually starts uh, we're going to be you know watching one marquee matchup a week uh, between two you know highly touted prospects maybe a, a nice pitching matchup or maybe some big sluggers in the lineup and giving you our firsthand uh, accounts and, and observations on the podcast. Yeah, that's that's gonna definitely be when the real fun starts. So I'm just yeah. you know can't wait for minor league baseball to get going here. It's gonna be great, and I'm glad to hear we're getting a milb.tv subscription for the office. But James, big news <clears throat> right off the bat today, early this morning, news broke that Yon Mancada 
will reportedly join Boston on a $31.5 million deal. Uh, this has been the big uh, prize, really, uh, of the international class this offseason. Uh, Six-foot, 200-pound, 19-year-old switch hitter, uh, third base, second base. He's played a little catcher or a little center field as well. Uh, really, really exciting prospect. Baseball America had him graded out as a 70 on their 20 to 80 scale, plus raw power, plus runner, excellent defender. I guess the real question is, James, you know, for fantasy purposes, now that he's signed, where do you think you'll slot him into your top 200 prospect rankings? I think he's definitely in the top 20. Um, you know, I'd, I'd put him ahead of guys like Rusne Castillo, ahead of Yasmani Tomas in terms of the international signees. He's probably, you know, kind of in that uh, Noah Syndergaard, Joey Gallo, uh, you know that that general range, Carlos Rodon, that that general kind of eight to fifteen range. You know this this figure kind of surprised me. Thirty one and a half million. I thought it'd be quite a bit more, but I think it's important to remember that <clears throat> because teams who, well, the the Red Sox who signed him went over their international allotment as far as money goes, they're going to have to pay a full overhead, meaning they're going to pay dollar for dollar, and uh, in, in this tax and uh, taxes really to sign him. So. Uh, 60, 63 million realistically. But do you think maybe that the Red Sox kind of stole this one? Yeah. I mean, I think if, I mean, unless like the, the baseball media that's been kind of reporting on the whole Moncada thing is way too high on him and, you know, way higher on him than the teams actually are, then yeah, I think it, it is kind of a steal, especially when you, you think about some of the other teams that, that didn't really get that serious about him. I mean, and this is one of those rare times, too, when the reported figures actually ended up matching up exactly with what it was. Usually when you hear like a number like 30 million, I always kind of assume it's going to be more like 35 or 40 million just because some team's going to really want him and want to make mm-hmm. sure that they're the high bidder on him. But, you know, it came out that the Yankees put up 25 mil, which... You know, when you double that, uh, it only comes up fourteen million short of being the high high bidders on him. So you kind of wonder: was it really worth the the fourteen million to not lock him up and let your division rival lock him up instead? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're the Yankees and you could really use a, you know, some more young talent in, injected into the system. Um, yeah, surprising. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, he end, he's going to end up being cheaper than Yasmani Tomas um, at least initially. I mean, I, I know that one, once he gets called up to the big leagues, he's going to start making the minimum for three years and they'll enter arbitration, and that number could get pretty high. But, I mean, you are still you still have a young asset under club control, so kind of confusing uh, as to why more teams weren't a bit more aggressive on this one. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised as well. And, you know, I think the fact that you'd slot him so high on your prospect rankings, I mean, it's, it's kind of surprising, especially with the ETA, that he'd be that high and um, – I'm definitely excited to see him, but I also feel like, you know, maybe the Yankees will regret this, especially since they didn't really spend much this off season. Um, certainly not hurting for money, and, and they really could have uh, upped that offer. But you were mentioning maybe uh, with the the potential rule changes coming as far as international free agents go, that uh, in some other fr- uh, international players that they may have their eyes on uh, in future years, that they, that may have may have played a factor in this. Yeah, I know. Uh I know it was getting reported that that definitely was the case for the Dodgers. They they were kind of rumored to be one of the top players for Moncada, but you know apparently there's some guys that are going to be available uh, the following 
couple of seasons and they didn't want to be out of the running for those guys at uh, what they probably deemed to be market value on Mankata where they figured they could get some other guys for below market. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in general, I think this is just going to kind of really start to frustrate owners basically because they're, they're not able to kind of get these guys at, at what they deem to be, uh, you know, contracts that they can live with so i think you know a lot of people are suggesting there's going to be international draft in the coming years and i i don't see any reason why that won't happen just if, if you think about it from the owner's perspective i mean that's a good way of keeping salaries down uh keeping these these young pieces affordable which i mean you look at the guys that are going to get drafted in next year's player draft how many of them have Mankata's upside and none of them are even going to come close to his money that's very true now we we've discussed uh, several times, and specifically on the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball podcast last week, uh, as the Red Sox being a likely suitor for Cole Hamels, I think a deal is, is going to get done for him eventually. And I think Red Sox, they match up better than anybody. And you had a great uh, blog post about that. Now, do you see this as a, a the Mankata signing as a, a precursor to a trade? Do you think that's that this kind of solidifies that uh, with some of the team's other highly touted prospects being dealt? Yeah, I saw it. Derek Van Riper tweet that out uh, this morning. You know, maybe this is going to allow the Red Sox to kind of think differently about some of the the more desirable talent they have at the top of their system. I, I could definitely see that happening. I think that you're right about the the fit between the Red Sox and the Phillies. I think one way or another, you know, they're going to keep having these talks just because it just makes too much sense on both sides to get uh, Hamels into the mix in Boston and. For, for Philly to really restack their system uh, with with a lot of pieces from Boston without Boston really losing much of anything. I mean, organizational depth is pretty nice, but you got to assume the bust rate on some of these guys is is around fifty percent. So you give them give them four guys, and maybe two of them end up kind of haunting you, but you still get a guy like Cole Hamels that you can go win challenge for World Series with. So I think it makes a lot of sense, and I'd still be surprised if they moved a guy like Mookie Betts, but I wouldn't be. That surprised if they were willing to to go, uh, you know, offer a guy like Raphael Devers and Manuel Margot or something like that in a in a package of kind of exciting young talented players. Yeah, in your blog post, you you proposed an offer: uh, Manuel Margot, Eduardo Rodriguez, Jackie Bradley, Matt Barnes, and Sean Coyle for Hamels, uh, which I thought was you know a decent return package certainly for for one player. I mean. Uh, and now you add a guy like Moncada into the system, those pieces become become even more expendable, and you're not giving up, uh, I mean, aside from Margot, really any of your top-level prospects. So uh, the, the Red Sox really could make out well here. Uh, now, with with the addition of Moncada, and before any other pieces get dealt, uh, does his addition really lock them in as the, as the best farm system in baseball, in your opinion? That's tough. Uh, I don't it's so hard to kind of quantify. I I think I'd probably still give the Cubs the edge and possibly the possibly the Twins as well, but I think it it, it puts them squarely in the top 3. I think you know the Twins, Red Sox and and Cubs are definitely the top 3 systems in baseball right now. Um it's just hard to say. I mean the the Red Sox have so much depth, but it's not it's not necessarily as as likely and as potentially impactful in some cases as the those other two organizations I mentioned. They've they got a lot of guys that, you know, probably make the big leagues in some capacity, but uh, 
you know, only only a handful really that that could end up being well above average regulars. Whereas I think you look at the the Twins and the Cubs, and they both have you know a couple franchise pieces there that are that are pretty high like high likelihood of hitting. Yeah, definitely. I mentioned that seventy uh, grade on Mankata from the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. That that kind of rating really means that they see him as a you know perennial All Star, really a, a borderline franchise type of player. So. Uh, they definitely landed a good one here, and uh, but for fantasy purposes, a big question is when will Moncada reach the majors? I said uh, pretty recently that I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he maybe made the majors in September if he sh- shot through the system, dominated. Could see some time as a September call up. Now with the Red Sox, I mean, I think that's a little less likely. If it was if it was New York, I, I could definitely see that uh, maybe at, at second base, but with with the Red Sox, I think they can really afford to to pump the brakes and, and keep them in the major in the minors the entire year. So, in dynasty keeper leagues, is this somebody that you have to get in the first round this year? I imagine in keeper leagues where the player pool is thin, you know, some may even bid on him uh, in auctions this this year. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think he's gonna get bid on. Like in our staff keeper league too, he's gonna get bid on. Uh, you know the Red Sox are basically the worst system he could have gone to in terms of what his ETA is going to be because you know as we've touched on many times in in other uh, areas you know on the radio show or in the other podcasts Mookie Betts is not guaranteed necessarily to play every day just because of how much depth they have I mean I think that still kind of applies to Moncada as well he kind of runs into the same troubles that that Betts will um, so yeah I mean I I wouldn't rule out a september call up this year but i also wouldn't rule out him staying in the minor leagues until june of next year because he's still under he's not under like a jorge soler rusne castillo type of deal where they have him for seven years regardless of where he's playing they they can control his his clock his free agent clock by you know just like a normal rookie so yeah i mean i I don't i don't think it's a lock that we see him this year yeah i think that's a really key point because yeah, Castillo, he's I think he was signed for seventy two and a half million or something right around there. But his was a six year deal, pretty firmly locked in as far as uh, the length of that deal. But with Mankata, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that he's gonna be up and once he's up he's gonna be, you know, pre arb and then arbitration eligible. So they may they may wanna just wait and uh I, that makes me think that this year might not be all that likely and uh, I think this time, uh, this time next year, he could definitely, he probably should be in major league camp and you know competing for a spot. But I think they would be wise to keep him down just to delay that service time. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot going on. Mankata is signing very big, and uh, definitely don't let this one fly under your radar. I, I doubt it will. But uh, even if you're you know not in dynasty or keeper leagues and just just strictly focus on major league uh, fantasy, it's definitely a name to keep in mind uh, and to, to track throughout his career. Uh, let's get to some other notes on some prospects from today. Um, certainly more major league ready prospects here. Chris Bryant, uh, the Cubs announced that he will be used both at third base and in the outfield in spring training. Uh, that according to manager Joe Madden. Uh, seems, you know, kind of like a foregone conclusion that he's going to be their everyday third baseman eventually. But uh, left field also a hole, and he's certainly got the the bat and the, and the arm to profile out there. Uh, realistically, do you think this is just a, a trial that he's going to still remain at third base, or do you think maybe they're giving some serious thought to, to playing him in the corners? 
you know, a lot of a lot of people think he eventually moves to right field. Um, I I don't know. They they just have so many pieces. You know, they have kind of their organizational depth chart. There's no one position where they don't have a couple guys that could theoretically play there. So I guess anything's possible. Maybe they want to just have a bunch of really flexible guys so that they can do kind of a, what ta- what Joe Madden was doing in Tampa and what they're doing in Oakland where. You know, if they need to get, say, Mike Oltz bat in the lineup one day or they need to get Javi Baez bat in the lineup one day, they can play those guys at third and they want to keep Brian in the lineup so they can move him to the outfield for a day. Uh, it's just nice to kind of have that flexibility. I don't think he's ever going to lose his third base eligibility in the near future at all, so I don't think that should be a major concern. But, um, I mean, I, I guess you can't, can't be mad that he's getting a little bit, little bit more versatile. Yeah, well, just while we're on the subject of the Cubs, I want to touch on another prospect. Uh, with that system as deep as it is, you know, they really, uh, this guy really flies under the radar, and I don't think he's prospect eligible now uh, after the, the amount of major league time he saw last year. But Aris Mendy Alcantara really kind of lost in the mix there. Uh, I thought he was really getting written off until I did a, a dynasty mock just last week where he was taken in the, you know, 150 range. I was kind of surprised to see him go that high, but. Uh, the talent is certainly there. The the hit tool is, is pretty impressive, certainly. Uh, but not a really a firm place for him to play. He can play all over the field, which certainly helps his chances uh, of you know seeing time. But do you think he can see enough time, they'll, they'll find enough at-bats for him uh, to be useful in fantasy this season? You know, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be useful in fantasy in, in full-season leagues, like 12-team leagues. But I think he's someone that's worth grabbing at the end of drafts on the on the off chance that he is you know i think you'll probably get a better idea you know month into the season or so how they plan to use him and i like like you i think that he might be getting a little undervalued some places i mean that was that was an industry league so i wouldn't expect him mm-hmm. to be that undervalued in an industry dynasty mock but in a your, your hometown league or something like that uh this is a guy that i i've thought all along kind of profiled as a a poor man's Jose Reyes and that's like with all all across the board with the tool so I mean I think that he could have a couple seasons where he hits like 280 290 and steals 30 40 bags hits 10 12 homers I mean that's that's super valuable so uh, he I actually included him in that Cole Hamels trade on the on the Cubs behalf just because he sort of seems like a obvious piece that you'd send away in a deal like that just because you don't really have a, an obvious place to play him. Yeah, definitely. You know, the average was pretty disappointing last year and may not rebound much. You know, it's still very young, but able to hit for power, steal bases, and second base eligible as well. And uh, I think they could play him at third maybe too if uh, if they don't have Brian as their everyday option there to begin the year. Also in left, as, as we mentioned, they have Chris Coughlin right now, but uh, I not, think you'd, you'd probably well, you'd probably before you'd put Alcantara at third. I think you'd probably move uh, Baez or even Castro yeah. over to third before you'd do that. Just just based on uh, who's got the better arm. But I yeah, I mean I I think that hopefully he just hits enough to where they just have to find a place for mm-hmm. him because I definitely think that that's that's possible. I mean, not all these prospects that they have coming up are gonna hit you know there's going to be one or two that bust out so hopefully he's he's one of the ones that makes it now jumping to the american league here this is a player who i've seen taken a lot and 
uh, I certainly understand the talents there, but uh, Aaron Sanchez's role still uncertain right now, heading into spring training uh, at the start of spring training, I guess for pitchers and catchers. But uh, Blue Jays still undecided whether he'll be used as a starter or as a reliever this season. Of course, you know, closed down the stretch for the team last year and uh, had a lot of success, and I think a lot of people expected expected him to take that role and uh, you know be serviceable again this year, but I know they have Brett Cecil, who they kind of like as an option to close. Uh, do you think, given their you know organi- organizational depth, uh, starting pitching depth, that they'd be wise to keep him stretched out, or do you think, uh, as far as short-term value and this team really stocked up going for it this year, that he'd be more uh, more valuable in the bullpen this year? I think he'd be more valuable in the bullpen this year, uh, but I don't. I think that they're just gonna watch him and Daniel Norris you know from now until mid-March basically and whichever one they think is more ready for the starting rotation that's the one who's going to get it if Norris doesn't get it he's going to go back down to AAA if if Sanchez doesn't get it then he becomes possibly the closer so uh, if you're drafting after you say March 15th or something you should have a pretty good idea at that point whether you're looking at Sanchez as a closer or just a, a you know a late round flyer, because if he becomes a starting pitcher, if he's their number five starter, then he becomes a lot less appealing to me in single season leagues, because then he just kind of becomes one of those guys that you sort of hope pans out, you know, kind of like a Carlos Martinez type. Whereas if he's the closer, I mean, I'm taking him up there with guys like Drew Storen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of in the mid 100s. So, say you're not lucky enough to draft mid March, you're drafting in the in the next several weeks. Are you hands off right now, just with the role uncertain, or do you think uh, the the upside of him closing is enough to warrant, you know, a fifteen to twenty round uh, type of type of draft pick? I would probably hold off in the in the first two hundred picks or so, and then I'd I'd almost kind of want to be left with whichever one lasted longer out of Sanchez and Brett Cecil, just because I think I think Cecil's one of the better relievers in baseball too. He's a lefty, so I think that puts him, you know, on the outside looking in. If Sanchez moves to the bullpen, I think Sanchez is the more obvious choice to close. But if Cecil were to get the job, or even if they were to do some sort of a, you know, a two-man thing back there in the ninth inning, which they sort of did down the stretch last year, I, I think Cecil's got the stuff to be just as good as Sanchez. So I, I would just kind of wait back and hang hang back until we kind of figure out a better idea what's going to go down. Yeah, I, I took him. I took Sanchez in our Rotowire magazine mock draft. Of course, that was back in December. But I, I thought, I thought he was fairly well safe, at least in in that day. I, th- I thought he was going to close. I mean, this team again loaded, ready to compete in the AL East this year. I thought that you know his short term value there would be would be great, and you could always get him stretched out next next spring. So uh, you know. I I'm gonna probably be hands off for now, but I still think Aaron Sanchez uh, could be you know a top fifteen closer pretty easily this year. Uh, but the Pirates, you know, they're getting some encouraging news as far as Jamison Tyon's progress from Tommy John surgery. We'll throw two bullpens. Uh, we'll throw bullpens for two more weeks before progressing to live batting practice. Uh, so you know, it looks like he could be ready. You know, maybe for his Pirates debut around mid season. Uh, but do you think that that's, you know, coming off such a major injury and uh, with an ETA uncertain that, you know, he, he could be a guy who you could maybe take a late round target, uh, late round dart on in, in NFBC type of formats, really deep 
uh, leagues, or do you think, you know, the talent's obviously there, but do you think uh, just the uncertainty surrounding the situation takes them off the radar for you? You know, I would put him probably in the top 15 or 20 or so pitching prospects for, for 2015, like if you're just looking for production this year, but I don't think you need to use a draft pick on him unless it's a it's a deeper league, maybe a, a deep, like a 12-team AL only or NL only or something like that. Uh, I do think he, he makes an appearance at some point this year for Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, he's well removed from that Tommy John, so I, I you know, I still think they're going to allow him to, they're going to just kind of keep the training wheels on him early on here so that that, that he can be of use because this is a team with you know significant playoff uh, aspirations I mean they want to go past just the the wild card round you know they want to go mm-hmm. deep so I think that he'd be a pretty valuable piece whether in the rotation or in the bullpen so yeah I mean I think that he's going to get treated as if they're they're just banking on him helping out in July and August and, and beyond definitely well James let's get to to your article that's going up on RotoWire later today, I believe it, it's up there. Is it up there now? Okay, cool. Well, it is the it's, uh, the next chapter in your uh, farm futures system. Looking at the or series, looking at the, the, the all of the farm systems in baseball, and uh, you know ranking the top ten prospects in each system. Also looking at you know the most upside and the best bet for twenty fifteen. Really great series. Uh, this this week is the NL East, which. You know, has has a couple standout systems, but uh, three ones, three that rank really towards the bottom, a uh, third of the league, at least in my opinion. Uh, we'll get started with one that's been restocked, but I think maybe overrated a bit, and that's the Atlanta Braves system. Uh, you have Jose Peraza top the top the list. I certainly agree. Twenty years old, going to be up playing second base and probably leading off for them at some point this year. Speed really through the roof, and, and the hit tool as well. What what are your expectations for him this season, especially on a team that's uh, looking really really bad on paper offensively? Yeah, I think you know if you, I mean he's a, he's a no doubt top ten uh, hitting prospect just for twenty fifteen, and probably you know top seven or top five. If you if you ignore Rusne Castillo and Yasmani Tomas, he's a top five. Uh, hitting prospect for this season, a guy that should get drafted in in any league that goes you know three hundred, three fifty players deep. Uh, I I'm I don't trust this organization necessarily to do the right thing with with aggressively promoting him this year. But if he were to get a call up in say June, and if you look at their organizational depth chart at second base, it's just really hard to imagine that not happening because they're they're starting some guys that are really really shaky i mean alberto Cayaspo, phil goslin jace peterson none of those guys should really be relied upon at all as, as anything more than just low-end utility types so i think that you might see peraza in june or you know maybe july and i think he can offer basically you know elvis andrews type production with possibly even a bit more speed and if you're getting that out of your middle infielder that's pretty nice yeah i mean the, the Braves at second base are a mess. I mean, they have Alberto Caespo, as you mentioned, but they were thinking about maybe playing him at third some. So Phil Goslin, Jace Peterson. They even mentioned Eric Young Jr. as an option to play second base for them, non-roster invitee to camp. Uh, he's also in the competition for the platoon role in left field alongside Johnny Gomes. But uh, really, anybody you put there is is not going to block Peraza realistically. 
Uh, I know they're looking several years ahead, and they may want to delay his service time, but I still think he make he makes it up in time to make a, a pretty big impact this year. Uh, you have him forty sixth overall on your prospect rankings, uh, a pretty lofty spot realistically. I mean, it may not sound like it on you know just when you hear it, but forty six overall is pretty good, and uh, and we've talked about it too. Freddie Gonzalez, if you're a speedy guy, if you fit that prototypical yeah. leadoff role, uh, you're going to be there. And uh, you know, I mean, maybe, I mean, I just, I find it hard to believe that it wouldn't be some sort of Marcakis, Peraza, one, two in some order, and then Freeman in the three hole probably. And I think that you, you'd look at the fact that BJ Upton probably starts the year in that two hole. That Melvin just, Upton. Or <laughs> Melvin <laughs> Upton. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Melvin's going to be in that two hole. And, uh, you know, that just kind of shows you how weak the top of their order is, how much room there is for improvement up there. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, the fat, the fast guy. I mean, Peraza got on base at like a 365 clip or so at Double A last year. So I mean, he's he's plenty capable of handling that leadoff spot. Most definitely. And uh, you you of course have him as your best bet for 2015 for the system, and uh, really not anybody else. I mean, besides Mike Fultonevich, who you have number six. Uh, really, I see making much of an impact. Maybe, maybe Manny Banuelos. He could definitely make it up. But I, yeah, he, he coming off Tommy John surgery last year only only made it out of the fifth inning twice in twenty five starts. So I, I think they'll want to see him, you know, build up more strength, work work later into games before really considering him for a promotion. Uh, but second on the on the Braves prospect list, you have Rio Ruiz, who of course they got from Houston in the Evan Gaddis trade, uh, one of their their main hauls there. But of course they got Fultonevich as well. But or Ruiz at third base. I mean the the numbers last year weren't weren't all that great to be completely honest. At least in my opinion, I know eight of his eleven homers came at at Lancaster's home park, which is of course very hitter friendly. Uh, just three homers on the road, but he actually had a higher slugging percentage on the road. So I think that you know eventually that that power becomes more than just gap power for Ruiz. But uh, do you think he is as the kind of guy who? who comes up and is a fantasy star? Do you think he's just kind of a an average, everyday regular at the major league level? I think average, everyday regular is kind of what you're hoping for. Uh, he's the one guy that they got five guys back out of this top ten. Five of them are guys they got back in trades this offseason. He's the one guy to me that doesn't really have that kind of damaged goods vibe to him. Uh, you know, Ben Walos, who you touched on, Fulton Nevich. I think the Astros had kind of started to pencil him in as more of a reliever for them. Uh, Max Fried, he's got a ton of risk coming off Tommy John, and he hasn't really been, doesn't have that much experience at full season ball. Tyrell Jenkins, a guy that the Cardinals had basically canceled out of their future rotation plans. So uh, Ruiz is the one that I could see, you know, sticking as an everyday player, uh, not going to ever be a top five or maybe even top ten third baseman in fantasy, but for for deeper leagues, he's he's definitely someone that uh, be worth holding on to. Yeah, I know. I, I think I said in a blog post because I got to see him very briefly in the Arizona Fall League. I think I just saw you know three or four at bats, not enough to really have any major takeaways. But uh, I just think he's he's the kind of guy who. Who will be serviceable and, and be an everyday player, but I just don't see him being a real star. And, uh, but fortunately for him, third base is, is not going to be a tough position to to crack on the major league roster. I mean, Chris Johnson 
signed that extension, but already looks like he's in danger of slipping into a part-time role uh, to start this season. Now, you have Lucas Sims third. He's, he's been, uh, you know, atop these organizational ranks for, for several years now, even, even though he's just 20 years old. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think the pedigree is certainly there. Uh, but he had, had some struggles last year, I think, with the promotion to, to high A, I believe. I, I forget exactly. But do you think he's still going to take a while to, you know, become a, a complete, you know, full worker? Do you think that, you know, maybe he comes up with the starting pitching staff, you know, kind of kind of uh, shaky behind Julio Tehran and uh, Alex Wood. Do you think he could maybe push for a job late this year? I don't think he'll he'll join the rotation this year. I mean, he he was he he was low. He was young for his level last year, which I think is why you can't read too much into those those numbers. Um, this is more just kind of a you know a bet on you know not reading into what what happened last year necessarily. I still think it's going to be kind of a slow grind for him, but this is definitely a big big year. I mean, if he were able to take kind of a jump forward, you could see him maybe get a get a taste of triple A before the end of the season and then you could be talking about him this time next year as a guy that you take as a late round flyer to join that rotation at some point. Yeah, I think that's definitely more realistic than a than a September call up just because again this team looking several years down the road and uh you know, I think they'd want to delay the service time on guys like Sims and uh maybe Ozano Albies who you have seventh overall uh, on the, on the prospect rankings here, he's a guy who well, I'm definitely interested in. But I think his his future could be with another organization because when you get Peraz up, uh, you have him alongside Anderson Simmons in the middle infield. That middle infield defense is going to be elite and probably hold those positions down for years to come. Uh, do you see it that way too? That they they may groom him only to sell high. Yeah, I I think that that's that's one way it could go. He's also far enough away from the big leagues where you don't even really need to consider that for a couple of years. I mean, he's by the time he's ready, who knows what Andrelton Simmons is going to be doing. I mean, he, his contract could almost be up at that point. He could be Simmons could be the trade candidate too. I mean, it's, it's a good point. You don't know where his defense is going to be because unless Simmons gets better with the stick, as soon as he loses a, a little bit on defense, then he, becomes kind of a fringy everyday player so uh i mean you can never get too many of these these awesome defensive shortstops and it looks like they might have another one that's a very good point yeah in you know three years you really don't know where Anderson simmons is going to be uh i'm hoping that it'll bounce back offensively but last year was was really tough and the low on base ways uh really really hurt his value of course an excellent defender right now but you're right you know three or four years we're talking arbitration, maybe free agency. Uh, if the bat doesn't doesn't come around, uh, if he, he's just a defensive first type of guy. Then, uh, you know, I think the Braves would be would be fine moving on. Uh, but another 18 year old in the system who I really like, Braxton Davidson, uh, their first round pick in the 2014 first year player draft. Really, a, an impressive young talent. A lot of power from the left side. Uh, you know, what do you think his upside is realistically? I think he could be, you know, kind of kind of like your boy Jesse Winker sort of um, could kind of fall under the radar like that for a while, too, just because he's he's the ideal, you know, better in fantasy than reality type of guy because he's never going to get, you know, super 
blown up in, in prospect rankings because he's probably a left fielder. He might even end up at first base at, at some point, and those guys don't get a ton of love because they're they're kind of all all bat, no glove, and we don't really care about that in fantasy. So if he's hitting 30, 35 homers and hitting 280, 290, something like that, uh, which, I mean, that's the high end of the projection, but it's he's the only guy in the system really that I could see you know, finishing out as as a regular top twenty pick in fantasy leagues. So I mean, that gotta like that upside, and you can probably get him a little under the radar in dynasty leagues. I mean, I don't think you have to own him in a in a league where you're only rostering a hundred guys. But if you're one fifty, one sixty, something like that, then he's a guy you could get late that people might not be that aware of. Yeah, I think that's a good call. And uh, looking at the Baseball America handbook here, they have him sixth in the system, uh, fifty on their twenty to eighty uh, scale, and. You know, I think that that might be a little conservative, but also you know they don't really take fantasy as much into account here too. So and, that's something to get. Yeah, and mind. I mean you're not going to see. I mean, you, when you when a guy's 18 and he's got what like 50 plate appearances in rookie ball, and that's all he's got under his belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to go out on a limb and give him like a 60 or something yeah, like that. True. So, uh, I mean, he's a long ways away too. He's a lot like Albies where. You're going to have to be patient with him. 2019, 2018, something like that might be when he debuts. So, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to hold him down for a while, but the, the payoff could be pretty big. Yeah, I guess thinking about it, for his age, 50 is entirely fair, fair number. And he doesn't run all that well, but he's got the arm and the bat profiles really well uh, for a corner spot. So uh, I think, you know, once they move into that new park, 2017, he could be uh, a real a real option to, to fill one of those spots that year. And, uh Corner's already a black hole for that team, so shouldn't have any trouble. And uh, I think, you know, on that team if, with Freddie Freeman there, you know, he could end up being a, a kind of clean-up, you know, middle-of-the-order type of bat, certainly. And just to round out, won't really go into detail on these players, but just to give our listeners, uh, let make them aware, just to uh, round out the system, they have Manny Benuelos at five again, Mike fulton at six, Ozeno Albies at seven, Max Freed at eight, Tyrell Jenkins at 9 and Christian Bethencourt at 10. Bethencourt, of course, you know, seems pretty well locked in uh, for a everyday, or not an everyday job, but an uh, opening day roster spot, certainly. Going to have to compete with A.J. Pierzynski. I, I'm kind of thinking that they may platoon at that position. Uh, Bethencourt's numbers against right-handers last year were really poor. Uh, small sample, but I, I just think that, you know, with this team clearly in rebuilding mode, that they may want to limit his workload and have A.J. Pruszynski have his bat in there, at least against right-handers, uh, to help help show to the load offensively. But uh, all will need to be sorted out in spring training. Uh, moving on to the Marlins here, they got Tyler Kolick, or you do, James, have him uh, atop the their rankings here. Not really uh, a surprise. He was there, you know, I think number two overall, correct, uh, in this year's first-year player draft. 19 years old, going to probably be maybe even starting back at rookie ball to start this season. Uh, do you see him as a, as a true frontline starter down the road, or do you think uh, you know, he's more atop the system by default, uh, just given how, how thin this, the system really is? He, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, he's got the size and the fastball to sit atop a rotation, but that's kind of all he has right now. Uh, the, the secondary pitches are lagging way behind the fastball. I mean, that might part of, part of that is because he's got a 70 or 80 grade fastball, which is nice to have when you're 18 years old. But 
He's he's got a rough command profile right now, and he is kind of, you know, when you could throw that hard in high school, there's not much refinement really needed in your approach. You can just kind of, you know, sling it in there, but he hasn't really learned how to get professional hitters out yet. That's going to take some time, so uh, you're going to have to wait quite a while with Kolek. I think if, if I mean, you can't treat him like the number two pick in the draft for fantasy purposes. Mm-hmm. I think that it, it speaks to his upside that they were willing to take him ahead of a guy like Carlos Rodon, who could be in the White Sox rotation this year. But you can't take him over guys like Rodon. You can't take him over guys like Alex Jackson or or even I, – I wouldn't take him over Nick Gordon. I wouldn't take him over Jeff Hoffman with the Jays. I wouldn't take him over Grant Holmes with the Dodgers. I'd, I'd even consider taking a guy like Bobby Bradley over him with the Indians. So, I mean, you you got to kind of properly value him in dynasty drafts this year. If someone wants to treat him like he was the number two overall pick and treat him that way in fantasy, then let him go ahead and do that. I think that's really wise to point out. On your on your rankings currently, have Kolek at 99. So, you know, the – the pedigree is there, but I, I think that's definitely wise to point out that you can't really treat him as, as the number two overall. I know you have Rodon certainly way farther ahead, I think, in the 20s. I think that uh, that one might end up kind of looking kind of like the, the Chris Bryant one from last year where it was just kind of like, wait, why did these teams yeah. not take Carlos Rodon? Because, you know, the Astros, too. I mean, they yeah, exactly. two teams had a shot at him. Two teams had a shot at uh, uh, Chris Bryant or – yeah, I mean, it, it's just not yeah. – I mean, it, it, it could end up looking pretty bad. Yeah, you have Rodon at 18, actually. I thought he was in the 20s, but definitely high on him. Uh, I know they've kind of said that they could see Rodon. They kind of envision a you know multi-inning bullpen role, but I, I'm with you. I kind of see him taking a rotation spot, if not to start the year uh, relatively early on. Now, the Marlins, of course, traded two of their more highly touted pr- uh, pitching prospects this offseason – Andrew Heaney, Anthony Desclafani. Uh, Desclafani I mean, going to my, my team, the Reds, which I'm he, happy about. Heaney would have ranked one, yeah. and Desclafani would have ranked two or three. So, I mean, that's that's kind of quite a hit to the system. Yeah, definitely. Of course, going forward this year, signed uh, Giancarlo Stanton to that big extension, landed D. Gordon, Matt Leto. So the, the major league roster definitely looks better, but the farm system depleted pretty pretty much uh, really thin at this point. JT Real Muto, the realist at number four. Uh, but uh, behind Kolek, we got Trevor Williams, Avery Romero, JT Real, Mut- Real Muto, uh, Justin Nicolino, Jose Urena, uh, Isael Soto, yeah, Brian Isael Anderson. Soto. <laughs> Isael. I, mean, I, thought it, they, I thought that was missing like a letter at some point no, initially, that's, but that's cool. I don't know much about him. Uh, Brian Anderson. <laughs> you don't need to. Michael Mater, uh, Justin Twine. So basically, if you're in a league where only 150 prospects are owned, Kolek's the only name you need to pay attention to. <laughs> yes. If you're in a league where 200 prospects are owned, you still probably should be able to do better than these guys. I mean, I would say that Trevor Williams and Avery Romero and JT Realmuto might might be owned in those leagues, but I wouldn't want to be the guy owning them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's there's not a lot to see here, really. I mean, this is uh, – I would take it over the Tigers and the Angels system, but just barely, just because I think that there's – there's a chance that maybe three or four names on this list make it to the big leagues in some capacity. Not definitely not an above average capacity, but I, I wouldn't say that about those other lists. So, uh, not not a great not a great collection of guys here. 
Yeah, you have Real Muto as your best bet for 2015, and I, I certainly understand that. He's he struggled last year in his a uh, couple of brief uh, auditions with the big club, and uh, but yeah, especially if he does get the call, you know, not a, not a whole lot to like. Even if you were to get into the primary job, uh, you know, I, I think you pointed out that you know at his peak he could hit 270, 15 homers or so, but I think that's you know several years down the road. Uh, but let's move on to the Mets. No surprise here. Noah Syndergaard atop the rankings, followed by Steven Matz, uh, Michael Conforto, Dilson Herrera, Marcos Molina. Now, Syndergaard, I mean, he's with the rotation depth they have right now, no lock to break camp with a rotation spot, but you do have him as the most upside and the best bet for 2015. Uh, do you th- when do you think he will uh, work his way into the rotation? Do you think it? it it'll take a trade or or an injury for him to do so? I don't think so. I, I don't think he breaks camp in the rotation for, you know, just purposes of getting that extra year of team control, but it's not, there's just no real reason to not add him to the rotation in June or even May because, you're, you don't want to waste those pitches in AAA. And in AAA, he's pitching in the PCL for mm-hmm. Las Vegas where you know his numbers will point. I mean, you just look at his numbers from last year. It's a tough place to pitch. I don't think that does anything for for young stud psyche to be you know getting rocked every third outing. And you don't want those pitches wasted down there. I, I think you just get him up. Uh, as soon as you, he's cleared the, you know, whatever deadlines you want him to clear for, for contractual purposes, uh, you don't have, like, guys that are above being bumped out of the rotation in the in the five-hole there, really, or, or even mm-hmm. in the four-hole necessarily. So, you know, I think you you just kind of bide your time, bring him up. It's not like you were going to let him pitch 210 innings anyways this year. I mean, just kind of save him, you know, watch his innings down there, and then when you're ready, bring him up. And I think he makes, you know, I think he kind of has – sort of a Marcus Stroman type year uh, where he gets gets about 20 starts or so for the big league club and should probably be the number one uh, pitching prospect taken in in uh, redraft leagues this year. You have Syndergaard as your top pitching prospect overall, too, in all of baseball. Uh, number five overall in your top 200, uh, ahead of Dylan Bundy, Lucas Giolito, Julio Urias. Uh, but you also have him on the Rotowire roundtable. You're certainly... Uh, the highest of, of anybody. You had him at 249 overall this year. I had him at 308. Uh, DVR had him at 348. Uh, Jeff and Michael did not have him ranked. Why, why do you think, why do you have him that high? I mean, I you kind of explained it. You know, you have a Marcus Stroman type of year, 20, 20 or so starts. Uh, but do you think, you know, for, for less patient owners, um, what exactly would you tell them to to convince them uh, that he that he's going to return that type of value? You know that that could be a little aggressive. Uh, I definitely feel comfortable about having him in my top three hundred, though. And mm-hmm. the reason why is, I mean, he's he's already got two plus pitches, and it, well, you know, maybe three plus pitches. Depends kind of how you feel about that changeup. But he's he's got the command profile to succeed. You know, first of all, like he's never, you know, we're always talking about these guys like, well, he's going to have to cut down on his walks like with Archie Bradley or Robert Stevenson or Tyler Glasnow or whoever it may be. 
that's never been a problem for Syndergaard. He's never had, he's never walked more than three batters per nine at any of his stops in full season ball. So I'm not worried about that. I think, you know, the, the stuff is just, it's, it, it'd be hard for me to see him doing any worse than a guy like Gerdano Ventura did last year, or, you know, even say the worst case scenario is he does what Zach Wheeler did in Zach Wheeler's first year. Well, that's, Still a decent amount of strikeouts, you know, whatever. You don't you don't get maybe that, that value back for where you had to take him, but it's not gonna kill you. I mean that pick a pick in that range of the draft isn't gonna kill you, and I think you can get uh, plenty of profit there too. I think he's gonna strike out a batter per inning. Um, that's not a bad ballpark or a bad division to be in, even if you're just gonna stream him against the Braves and the Phillies, I mean that's gonna be nice. Uh so yeah, I, I just think that there's at that point in the draft, there aren't any pitchers that can really match his upside. Yeah, I think that's wise to point out the you know the control profile, uh, command profile. I mean, he's got two point six walk for, per nine for his career, uh, but two point nine last year at AAA. That is a very tough place to pitch. But I think when you you're in that you know two point five to, to three point oh range at his age, uh, twenty two years old, I think that's. That's a good sign that, that he'll be able to have ma- success at the major league level. And you mentioned Robert Stevenson. So glad to see he's back on the mound for Cincinnati. Uh, had a little bit of shoulder issues at the start of camp. We should have done. We should gotten that out of the way at the beginning of the show. Yeah, maybe. that should have been a note on the <laughs> at the top of the show. But uh, I don't want to touch on all these guys. But could you maybe give me uh, one or two from from spots two to ten that that you really like and expect to uh, maybe surprise some people? Uh, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, people should know who Steven Matz is by now. Uh, he's, he's a lefty, also pretty close to the majors. If it wasn't for Syndergaard, I think we'd be talking about him as a guy that could contribute this year. And he, he might still, but I think he would need a trade or, or something of that, that nature to kind of crack the rotation, maybe an injury or something. Uh, he profiles as, you know, a pretty safe number three starter. His numbers are pretty off the charts. One of the best left-handed pitchers in the minors. Uh, Michael Conforto is a guy that should probably get taken in the top 10 or 12 of, you know, if you're doing a dynasty league draft out of this past draft class, he was probably the top college bat coming in. So, uh, you know, that he's going to move pretty fast. And they, they obviously can make room for bats if they're big league ready and, Dilson Herrera, I think once they move on from from Daniel Murphy, then he's going to take over the everyday job at second base, and I think he can be, you know, top ten, top twelve type of type of guy in fantasy leagues once he's playing every day there. And the last guy I'll bring up is Marcos Molina, who might be a little under the radar, but he's got that mid rotation, maybe even a touch higher upside that that Mats and Syndergaard have. And he's just kind of got a, a really sweet look. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of uh, Marcos Molina, but, I mean, he just kind of looks uh, looks like a, like a pretty chill guy. I think he'd, he'd be fun to hang out with. Uh, just 19, he's probably going to start the year at low A, but he's a guy that uh, shouldn't be slept on. I, I would take him in the top 100 or, or top 110 or so of, of uh, Dynasty League drafts if he's out there. So, yeah, I mean, definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, I just did a Google image search, and definitely a sweet look. I mean, <laughs> I think you may have tweeted out a picture of him being the face of MILB yeah. 
I like that. I mean, I'm, that hair is is eighty grade. I, I mean, it's 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 definitely eighty grade hair, especially <laughs> when it's wet. That picture that I tweeted out, it's it's pretty dry. It's been out in the sun for a little bit, but yeah, I mean that. M, you know these MLB teams keep tweeting out like your Reds keep tweeting out like uh, Todd Frazier, the face of MLB. Well, I, I want to make a case for Marcos Molina being the yeah. face of MILB. I like that, and he's he's kind of got the opposite of. Uh, Henry Mejia's hair, at least as far as I'm concerned. I think that's 20 grade hair. This is he, kind of, I mean, it's He's not, kind of pulling off, he's he's pulling off, I think, what, like, Giovanni Gallardo's always tried to pull off. Yeah. But, like, has, in my opinion, Giovanni Gallardo's always failed at pulling it off. Yeah. Whereas I this think. This kid's pulling it. I think Marcos Molina, I think he knows what he's doing. He's rocking that night. <laughs> he's a guy who we may have to have to single out and try to uh, watch one of his, his starts. Uh you know, when we when the regular season starts and get get our listeners some feedback on him, but let's jump to the Phillies. Uh, this is a system that should have been restocked by now, and it may <laughs> may very well be if they if they do trade Hamels. But uh, J.P. Crawford, no surprise, at top of the list. But then Michael Franco, Aaron Nola, U.L. Macias, uh, Roman Quinn. Got to see Quinn in the fall. He, he actually impressed me, but I certainly understand. I mean, at twenty one, he, he's got some he's got some maturing to do his game. Uh, definitely. Then Zach F. Eflin, uh, Ben Lively, who the Reds traded, Tom Wendell, Kelly Dugan, uh, Duggan, Hacksaw Jim Duggan's little brother, uh, Aaron Brown. No, Crawford, 20 years old, but since they traded Jimmy Rollins, sort of really a black hole. I mean, he'll, he'll be up to fill that eventually, but uh, what, are, what are your expectations for him? Where is he going to start this year? And uh, are, are you as high on him as, as some of the others in the industry? Uh, no. Well, I mean, there's the, there's the prospect industry, like, you know, guys like Keith Law, mm. Jim Callis, those types of guys. And then there's like the fantasy prospect industry. I, I think I'm kind of, it, it, there's just a big difference there to me. I mean, yeah, I saw Keith Law has JP Crawford ranked seventh overall on his national, on his, on his list, you know, his top 100. And that is defensible if we're just talking about real life value if, if you grade him out as a as a plus plus defender a guy that's going to stick it short for his entire career that type of thing but if you can get anywhere near that kind of value for him in a dynasty league right now i would do it in a heartbeat because guys like crawford to me are not that unique they're not that tough to find um you know i just i think that you, you look at him maybe he's Alcides Escobar with a little bit more power, or maybe he's, maybe he's like Elvis Andrews, or you know, a, a bad Jose Reyes season, or something like that. It's just, it's not that exciting of a profile. I'm gonna try to, if I've got a top ten or top fifteen, um, if if I can get that kind of value for him, I'm gonna do it because mm-hmm. you can get an impact, like a guy that could hit thirty homers, or a guy that could strike out two hundred and twenty hitters, or something like that. That's the type of guy that you want in that range. And Crawford doesn't really bring that to the table. He doesn't bring like sixty steal seasons. He's gonna give you like thirty or forty steal seasons. So, uh, you know, a really nice player, a really nice overall player, uh, but not not a guy that should be quite as highly touted as I've seen him in, in some lists. If, if you're basing those for fantasy, if you're trying to carry that over into fantasy, it's not it's not going to translate. Yeah, just to put it in perspective, at least as far as uh, how you view him, you have him 49th overall on your top 200 behind Clint Frazier, Jose Peraza, Aaron Sanchez, 
uh, DJ Peterson. So yeah, you certainly certainly like the player, but right. yeah, just co- compared to others, I mean, yeah, Keith Law is probably taking real life value, uh, you know, defense into account quite a bit there. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. If, if you're able to trade him, move him, you know, for for a guy who's and and he's know, anywhere near the top thirty. You know, he could move if he has a big. He's. I think he's going to start at Double A if he gets out of the gate fast. I could see him getting up to the to the show for for a cup of coffee late in the season and maybe even breaking camp with the team in 2016 as the everyday shortstop. So I mean that's you know plenty of value there. I I don't want to be labeled as the guy that doesn't like JP Crawford. I just think that yeah. you know he's he's not the impact talent that that I'd look for in that top 20 range. Yes, yeah, have him as the, your your player in the system with the most upside. Best bet for 2015 though, Michael Franco. We've discussed him uh, numerous times just off the air, but uh, no, you know, neither of us are, the, are the really that high on him. Of course, I had the big 2013 with 30 homers, 100 RBI at AAA, but uh, you know, not not a lot to like in his you know time with the big club last year. And uh, you know, it looks like Cody Ashey probably going to open the year as, as their starting third baseman. Of course, you know, spring training performances will dictate a lot of that, but. Um, do you think he can maybe be an option at first base? Or do you think that you know, maybe he just uh, doesn't force force the force management's hands uh, as far as you know finding at bats for him? I think that he, the guys ahead of him on the depth chart will maybe force management's hands. I think I think Franco will start the year at Triple A just so that he can just you know get back to crushing minor league pitching, kind of get that swagger back, and then you know I I think that you're going to see. With with guys like Ryan Howard and guys like uh, B.J. Upton, even in Atlanta, I think that the off season's a time when front offices kind of you know get together and talk about things like this. And I, I don't see Ryan Howard getting the you know courtesy of of getting to play four or five days a week if he's not producing this year. I, I just don't I just don't see that. I don't see that as beneficial to the Phillies now or long term and I don't think that they will either I think that they're going to just you know kind of tell him that and if he doesn't like it then you know that's kind of his deal he's getting paid though so uh, I think that they're going to find a way for Franco to get four or five at bats a day or four or five starts a day at third and at first uh, by May or June I'm not sold that those are going to be productive at bats but I think that he'll get them which which kind of gives him the edge in this category We'll jump to the Nationals here. Uh, you know, this system system has some talent in it for sure, but atop the list, Lucas Giolito. Uh, I've been drooling over him for a little bit now. I mean, you going to get him in SKL too? Uh, that's the thing. I, I want to make that pull that trigger, but negotiations have stalled. <laughs> <laughs> of course, coming off talks have cooled. You know, talks have cooled. I mean, I, I want him, but the price is whew, sky high. Uh, coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, you probably won't debut in Washington mid until mid 2016 realistically, uh, but as far as upside goes, absolutely through the roof. Uh, have him as your most upside in the system. But best bet for 2015, Michael Taylor, with with uh, Jason Worth. You know it, they, they kind of expect him to be ready for opening day, uh, but no lock for sure. And uh, you know I think with with Worth at his age, I think he's 36 now. You know any any sort of significant injury. That would open up open up playing time for Taylor, in my opinion. Nate, Nate McClough, I mean, he's not going to 
really be much of a, a roadblock for for Taylor. Uh, you you have him as a sixty grade uh, power bat, sixty grade speed. Uh, certainly, the, the tools to make a big fantasy impact. But do you think that that he will actually see that, see enough time this year to to return value in in deeper leagues? I so I gave him the the honor of, of best bet for twenty fifteen just because he has the easiest path to returning that that value. I you know he's the Nationals are so loaded that you need. You basically need an injury if you're one of these prospects and you want to be a contributor. But Taylor just needs one injury, you know, an injury to Bryce Harper, an injury to Denard Spann or Jason Wirth, and I think he's playing uh, basically every day. Whereas a guy like A.J. Cole, who's who's basically big league ready as well, he would need an injury to one of the guys currently in the rotation plus something to go wrong with Tanner Roark for him to get a shot. So I think it's an easier path to playing time for Taylor uh, I might have him too low in my overall prospect rankings. Uh, we're going to update those for the site, do a composite uh, closer to the start of the season. I think I'll probably move him up a little bit. Uh, just I, I, It's hard to pass on guys that could go 25-25, and he has that potential. It's just, I mean, it doesn't always pan out. You know, you think of guys, guys like a Chris Young or... Uh, even like Lasting's Millage way back in the day. I mean, it doesn't always pan out or it doesn't always last that long. But guys like Carlos Gomez show that it can sometimes, you know, eventually show up. And I remember, you know, he is, he's got great pull power. Uh, when I, I think I've told you this, but, you know, at the Futures game and at BP, other than Joey Gallo, you know, obviously, but I mean, Michael Taylor's power was just as impressive to me as as Chris Bryant's in in that wow. pregame BP. I mean, he was hitting just moonshots to to left field, and it's it's he doesn't look like. It. I mean, he's kind of a wiry guy, but yeah, I mean, there's a ton of power in that bat, a lot of speed. So if he were to get a chance, like this is a guy that could be worthy of like a big fab bid at some point mm-hmm. during the season if a if a significant injury happens in front of him on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Worth, but let's not forget Bryce Harper's had injury issues as well throughout his young career. And uh, I could see him, yeah, I think, you know, outside of like NFBC where he's, you know, 50 rounds, no in-season pickups, whatnot, he's obviously going to get taken. But in shallower mixed leagues where he's not taken, he could end up being the premier in-season pickup uh, this year if he does work his way into, you know, regular playing time, which would be great. 23 years old, um, you know, I think... I think if everybody's healthy to start the year, he, he may head back to AAA. Um, but, yeah, all, all needs to be sorted out. And, of course, a lot will hinge on the health of uh, Jason Worth's shoulder. Now, Giolito, I mean, do you think he's – I think you had him as your number three pitching prospect on, on your rankings behind Syndergaard and, and Dylan Bundy again, but uh, 11th overall on your prospect list. Is he somebody that – I mean, I'm surprised you haven't gone out and traded for him in SKL too. I mean, what is – is it worth paying the top dollar? Or is, is is the risk factor just too high to really uh, be giving up major league major league talent right now to to have him? I haven't really done my due diligence on him in terms of, of going going out and getting a hold of the guy that owns him. Uh, Thanks for giving me that window. But but, uh, but I the here, the thing about that I mean that specific scenario is that he doesn't his timetable and my timetable to try to win a ship don't really line up yeah uh so i he's he's a guy i'd love to have but he's not a guy i'm going to trade current big league talent for 
Uh, the reason, I mean, you're going to see him ranked. I think he might. He's probably a top pitching prospect on a lot of lot of lists. You know, either him or maybe Urias. But I'm always going to be partial to the guys like Bundy and the guys like Syndergaard just because pitching prospects get hurt all the time. Mm-hmm. Giolito's got Tommy John on his resume already. Even if he doesn't get hurt, you're still waiting a year and a half probably for him to join that rotation. And I'm just going to take the guy that, you know, Syndergaard and Bundy, they might be they might be like 70-grade pitchers or, you know, 65-grade pitchers, whereas Giolito you might put an 80 on. But I'm going to take the guys that are going to be able to help me now because I'm not going to assume that any of them are going to stay healthy. I'm just going to take that production when I can get it. Yeah, with Giolito, I mean, in trade talks for him that I was in, that, that was the big thing. It was, you know, do I want to give up a, a big piece that will help me compete this year and next and, you know, land him in, in hopes of, you know, competing in future years? Or do I want to really go for it this year and next? And I think uh, that that's the question that, that's really held me up because I, I really want to make a run at it this year too. And I, uh, so. I'll, I'll throw in the caveat that I, I do own him in another dynasty league, so I you know i'm i'm ready and willing to cash that cash in on that when it when it does eventually happen for him but i you know it's he's a great piece and i said this in in the write up in the in the article like i would take Syndergaard and bundy over him because i'm always trying to be in win now mode mm-hmm. but if you're in just a full on rebuild like say you took over a team that just doesn't have a, a good shot at competing right now or something like that, he would be my number one pitcher in that scenario because he's the type of guy that you could build a team around, and if everything works out, you might have, like, the next Clayton Kershaw on your hands. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's what you kind of want in that scenario, but I, I'm, I'm usually trying to be in win-now mode. Yeah, I, I, I think that Giolito, you know, I, and I just took over a team in the Staff Keeper League 1. We're, of course, in both in Staff Keeper League 2, and I think he's a guy who I would – I'm definitely going to try to target uh, just because I'm going to have to blow that thing the hell up. <laughs> uh, but just for our listeners, I want to run down the rest of the list. We've gone a little long, so don't want to get into detail really with these guys. But Giolito, Michael Taylor, one, two. Then AJ Cole, Ronaldo Lopez, Joe Ross, Trey Turner, who you know, came over in, the, in a deal with the Padres. Probably going to have to, st- just because of the rules um, after being drafted, going to have to stay in the Padres system. But rights belong to the Nationals. Eric Fetty. Wilmer Defo. Defo. I I've remember talking with Derek about him, and I think we uh, he wrote up his outlook for for the site. But uh, pretty impressive numbers, certainly. Uh, Chris Bostic and Drew Ward. If you want to check out James's farm future pieces and don't have a RotoWire subscription, check us out free for ten days at RotoWire.com/free. Uh, we'll get you set up some trial access, and uh, definitely check check him out. Uh, James on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. I'm at ClayWLink. Uh, we'll be back next week for, for the third edition of the Rotowire Fantasy uh, Baseball Prospect Podcast. So uh, be sure to follow us along and uh, give us any feedback you can. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. 
The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.